My heart overflows with a pleasure for the pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. In your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth, meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honour. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of a fear. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favour with gifts, the richest of people. All glorious in the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many-coloured robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Colin. Um, and let's just pray, shall we, before we study God's word together. Father, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Help us to believe it. Enable us to understand it. Teach us to obey it. Bring to mind things that are for our profit and your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Um, and my apologies, I would normally have tried to get these out on the tables in advance. So these are some notes just to help. Please take a few, pass them back. Hopefully there's enough to go around. Um, if not, share them around and share. Sorry? Like that? Is that better? There we go. Anyone else want one? Anyone? Else? There we go. There we go. Put your hand up if you haven't got one. Put, put Wave a few if you've got some that are spare. We got a spare over here? Can we share? Lovely. There's spares over there. Lovely. That's grand. Thank you. Should have done that before. Please accept my apologies. Um, and just as we begin, and before we open the, the, the scriptures again, can I ask you to pause and think of a picture or a memory that encourages and inspires you? All right. You might want to need to close your eyes for that. Uh, you might not. But what, what, what encourages and inspires you?
We're in a coronation year. Were you inspired by the pictures uh, of the coronation of our new king? Were you one of those who camped out on the mall uh, to get a good seat? I know somebody who changed their mind at the last minute, jumped on a train on Saturday morning in the hope of joining in. They were finally enthused and inspired. They were going to go. And they got there and they spent the day in the back room of a pub with a TV screen because they were far too late to get inside the, what do they call it, the wall of steel that they put up around these events. And they'd missed the boat. At the last minute, they wanted to honour the king. But they missed out because they hadn't acted soon enough. They knew it was going to happen. But they'd chosen to leave it. Anyway, here's one of my inspiring pictures. We'll come back to that thought. It's on the screen. It's also in the notes. Um, I hope it can come on the screen. Is that possible? Yeah, we were going to put that on the screen. Is that all right? Um, and I keep breathing in this microphone. I'm sorry if that's not helpful. Um, so this is taken from the summit of uh, Snowdonia uh, from Irwidfa uh, at the top of Snowdon. And it speaks to me of achievement because you don't get here very easily. And it speaks to me of opportunity. What's the matter? You can't get there on the train. The train gets you most of the way there. All right, well, I'll take that. You can get there most of the way on the train, yes. But even if you get the train, because I'm planning this with my mother, who's now 80-something and walks with two poles, even if you go on the train from the station to the summit, is still a further short walk. But it speaks of achievement. This isn't actually the very summit, but it speaks of achievement because it takes effort to get there. I mean, believe me, the train has worked hard if it carried you up there. Um, the, and it speaks of opportunity. Because as I look out from the top there, there are places I have yet to go. Places I can only see from there. And that's what I hope we will find today as we look at Psalm 45. So I really do hope that you'll keep Psalm 45 open in front of you. Um, it is perhaps for me the most inspiring picture. This is actually Psalm 45, thanks. We'll, we'll, we'll lose that until the end. Psalm 45 is actually the, the passage I was given 20, 25 years ago by the, the chap who basically said, I think you'll be a preacher one day. And he said, next month, I want you to preach. And I said, well, what, what do you want me to preach? And he said, here's Psalm 45. And, and this is the passage that has been inspiring me ever since. It's the picture of a wedding, not a coronation. It's a picture of a wedding that will take place and which you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, will attend. And you will attend with the place of highest honour. Bar one. Now, if that's not an inspiring picture... You may as well switch off now and not listen to anything else I've got to say. You see, the Bible tells us something that, that really is remarkable. At the end of this life, the Bible tells us it's not a dark box and nothing. Okay? At the end of this life, the Bible says you're not going to get to do it over again, either as a higher creature or as a lower creature. The Bible says that you're not going to end up in limbo or purgatory or hanging around until somebody does something or you've paid your debt or anything else. The Bible says God has something else on offer for you. The Bible says you can come to the wedding supper 
the Lamb. Hold that psalm open in front of you and look with me at verse 1. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready writer or scribe. It's the poet who speaks first. He tells us that this is a unique poem that was effectively given by God to him in some sort of ecstasy, such that the writer had no choice but to write the words down. That's what he's saying. It's, it's like one of those moments, the words just flowed out of him. And he's got a tune which he knows, it says that in the inscription at the top, and he was carried along by the Spirit of God to deliver these words. 2 Peter 1 says, No prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what's happening here. This man is truly inspired in ecstatic utterance. Had he watched Solomon's wedding? There were enough of them. An occasion which was certainly full of pomp and splendor. Um, if he, even if he had, he was carried along in special measure. So maybe he'd seen something glorious, but he was taken beyond it, right? Now, you've seen my picture of what inspires me. I hope to get there again this summer, all right? But I want to go beyond that. I don't know what your picture was, but I want to take you beyond that with this psalm today. Now, in those notes, if you don't know anything about Eastern weddings, down on the bottom on the left-hand page, there's a few questions you can answer about that as we go through. You see, the most important people at the wedding today are is the <laughs> I've had two answers here <laughs> it's a great debate isn't it is it the bride's day only or is it the bride and groom well um oh dear me back in the day um the groom would have had the preeminence okay the wedding was the groom's day right it wasn't the bride's day and it wasn't the bride and groom's day it was the groom's day um now we need to understand that and and That's important as we understand this psalm. If you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and and verses 8 and 9, you would hear this psalm quoted. And the writer to the Hebrews basically saying, this is Jesus. All right? Now, you can do that for your homework. I'm not going to take you all the way through the book of Hebrews. But if you want to check that out, that's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And then on into chapter 4, this is Jesus. So the writer in the New Testament says, now I want to tell you, who that person is in Psalm 45, who that king is in Psalm 45, who is the groom at the wedding in Psalm 45, and it's Jesus. And we see him made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So this psalm is a special revelation of the king of kings and the lord of lords, the day of his wedding, When he will come and claim his bride, so it will be your coronation day. (laughs) If you're a Christian this morning, I'm talking to you about your coronation day. All right? We won't need a ring of steel, but we'll have all the pomp and the ceremony. It'll be brilliant. It'll be glorious. You will be beautiful if you trust in Jesus. At the end of this life, if you believe in him, you will be crowned in glory and honor with him. Are you getting inspired? I've got some smiles around the room. I'm going for everyone's face wearing a smile by the time I've finished. So you now know how I'm going to judge how I'm doing. You, we, we should be catching a hint of glory at this point. But may I say, be warned by the experience of my friend and the coronation. 
You can leave it too late to get there. There will be a time after which you cannot join this party, when it will be too late to make it to the wedding supper of the Lamb on time. If you're already looking into these things, maybe you're doing Christianity Explored, you're talking to your friends, you're reading your Bible, then great, keep going. But if you've never really taken this claim that Jesus Christ is this one who offers this future seriously, if you've never really thought about that, please start now, because it matters. So the psalm begins with a look at the king and his reign. And I want to show you him now. And you've probably seen in the notes already that I'm going a bit Puritan on you. I've got seven things on the king and I've got seven things on the bride. So we're going to be here for seven hours. No, not quite. So we're going to be here for a few minutes. But the, I'm going to go very quickly now. And really, I want if, if, if each of you catch one of these things and take it to heart today, not all seven, that would be great. And if you, you come back to another one during the course of the week or next month or over the summer, even better. But let the Holy Spirit guide you to whichever one of these really makes a difference to you. Because here is King Jesus, the groom. Verse 2, he is the one with God's grace. He is the one with God's grace. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. You are so beautiful, you define beauty. That's really how the Hebrew reads. You are so beautiful, you are the very definition of what beautiful is. Oh, how often the scriptures tell us that speech, we've just heard it in the Proverbs, haven't we? What comes out of you indicates what's gone into you. And here, every word King Jesus speaks is glorious, is gracious, is kind. What a challenge to us. Uh, what a challenge to us. When Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, um, it, it, it actually says they were amazed by his words, but they still rejected him. If you need convincing, go and look. He spoke graciously to them, and yet they rejected him. Chapter 3 of James will help you if you've got a, a, a struggle with this. It will challenge anyone who needs to consider for themselves their words. And then we read, therefore, God has blessed you forever. The, the, therefore, there is the sense of proof. The beauty and the gracious speech are proof that God has blessed Jesus eternally. Grace, we understand, is God's blessing. It's received by Christ here in this prophecy, but we receive it from him. And we, we know, don't we, that grace spells God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the grace that comes through us, through Jesus Christ. And this is what he exhibits. And this is the king that uh, we will be married to one day. I'm going to move on. Truth, righteousness, and humility, or meekness in our, our text. Um, uh, the, the true word of God is the sword that divides this sinful world so that righteousness can reclaim it. You've got a mighty warrior and a right hand, and they're the bracket, strength of, of might and power, around the word truth. So we have this mighty truth which achieves what we've just been told about, this grace. But what we also have here is this strength. Strong as it is, stronger than anything you or I know. It's not misused for war. It's not violent. The strength of God is put forward in Christ for the sake of truth. And then we read this truth is righteously humble or 
humbly righteous. For those of you who understand language, the, the words meekness and righteousness are nouns of apposition. They, they actually explain a little bit more about the truth. So truth is the key thing. But truth, when it's delivered by the king, by the Lord Jesus, is righteously humble or humbly righteous. You can have it either way around. In fact, it's both. Can you remember the Lord Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey? Humbly, righteous. Prophet, these men are speaking sacrilege. They're declaring that you are God. The thing is, that was true. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, yes, I'm God. That would have been proud. He didn't not answer. That would have been humility beyond humility. That would have been becoming a doormat, giving up. He said, if they don't speak, the very stones will declare the truth. Do you feel the hum humble righteousness, the righteous humility that leads to truth? Isn't this the sort of leader you want to follow? Isn't this the sort of man you want to marry? Gents, don't get confused. <laughs> okay? Um, but, but, but that's the picture we have. Verse 5, victory. Your arrows, those sharp ones, pierce the hearts of the king's enemy. Uh, victory is clear and absolute here. The mission on which Jesus is sent by his father is sure to be a success. His word does not go forth and come back void, we read in the prophets. Jesus did not rise in vain, says 1 Corinthians 15. If you've got any doubt about the resurrection and what's achieved, go read 1 Corinthians 15 and, and let Paul blow your mind with the import of the resurrection of Christ. And then Jesus himself in Luke 20 and Peter at Pentecost both quote Psalm 110 and say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. If you are opposed to God, you will end up his footstool under his feet at this point in time. The victory is sure. And all we are waiting for is the final mopping up operation to be complete. Don't you want to be on the victory side? Again, isn't this the sort of guy you want to be in a relationship with? One who is absolutely certain of victory. Verse 6 tells us he has deity. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Isaiah prophecy we hear at Christmas a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies of angels will accompany this. And Jesus' words to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house in heaven the eternal home. This would be your groom. He's not offering you some temporary relationship with a prenup you have to sign in case it goes wrong. Okay? He is God eternal and he's offering you heaven as his home. I'm jumping ahead in case I don't get there. On a wedding day in Eastern culture, the groom, when he was ready, goes to the bride's house, collects her. They get married on the way, and he takes her home to his home. 
we'll come back to that. That's what God's offering you. Isn't that what you want? To be in heaven with him eternally, forever. Verses 6 and 7, we're getting a bit technical now. It's about anointing. Anointing, for those of you who like your history and your Hebrew stuff, is, is for righteous rule. Old Testament anointing was to set somebody apart to a special God-given task. It was effectively an act of God done by human hands. You could not undo it. There's some interesting stories in the Old Testament about prophets who'd been given the anointing and then they prophesy and it's a bit weird and it's a bit strange and, and stuff like that. If you mucked around with the anointing oil, you were cast out of the people of God. That's how serious it was. If you thought it was funny to go and get it off the shelf and play with it, you were out. You were done. This was something you couldn't do because this signified an act of God done here on earth by human hands. It's a unique way that the anointing falls on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm currently reading John 1 to 1 with a friend uh, on a Friday evening. Pray for me. And, I, and this blew my mind. He asked me a question and I didn't get it. And I had to look it up. In John 1, we read that in the baptism story, the Spirit of God came down on the Lord Jesus. Do you know what the end of that verse says? And remained on him the anointing was permanent the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal I hadn't seen that before it's amazing and the spirit of God remains on the Lord Jesus in a way that he doesn't remain before that in Old Testament prophecy this is something new and it's something that we have because that Joel prophecy says that that's what he gives to us, this side of Ascension and Pentecost. We must press on. Verse 8, I think, the aroma, these, these clothes that are described here are not just amazing clothes. They're effectively the music and the scent. It, it's as if just by entering the room, music to joy and fresh air smell that cheers the soul arrives with it. You ever been in a, a room and, and, and it's usually a young lady walks in and she's got the most amazing perfume on and all of a sudden, bang, the whole room smells it because it, it's just like that. And what, what you've got here is the ultimate picture, but not achieved by some chemical stuff that's evaporating and, and getting up our noses. It's a spiritual thing, okay? There's a spiritual sense, a spiritual aroma that floods into the room when God is there, when Jesus is there, when he is with us. Verse 9, I told you I was going through these quickly. I hope I'm going quickly enough. His associates, his entourage, the joy of the king is shared amongst many. Here we go, another thing about an Eastern wedding. The groom's party did not have women in it. Okay? It, it doesn't normally have women in it until um, later on when he goes to get the bride. But here the picture is of women. What's going on? Is it just women? No. It's saying that everyone's included in the groom's party from the very get-go. This is for everybody. The whole of humanity is joined in with this king and joyful, sweet, holy, eternal, victorious, humbly, righteous, true, gracious reign. Don't you want to attend this wedding feast? Don't you? Maybe you didn't make it to the coronation or you didn't watch enough of something big recently and you think you missed out. Well, sign up for this one because it's going to be better anyway. Okay, it's going to be, uh, there's, there's going to be no ceremony. No moment in human history is going to trump this. All right, when Christ came the first time, we had a heavenly choir, just a choir. 
if I'm reading 1 Thessalonians right, when he comes again, every single angel in heaven will come. It's going to be better that day than anything we've ever known. And indeed, we're pictured next. I'll, I'll run through these quickly. From verse 10, the picture is now the queen, the bride of Christ. In John 3, John the Baptist names Jesus as the bridegroom and the people who go to him as the bride. So we know this is talking about us. You can check that in Revelation as well. Hear then what the Lord Jesus says about you on that day. He's now speaking to us directly. If we believe in Jesus, there are seven things about us as there were seven about our groom. In verse 10, we're detached from the past. Oh, what a joy this is. The first thing, and indeed a very strong imperative, we need to forget the past. In Christ, we are a new creation. That's not to say there might not be effects from the past that still haunt us, but they no longer need to hold us. They're no longer our focus. It doesn't matter what you have done. If you have come to Christ, you are new. You are clean. You can go on. It doesn't have to hold you back. Our eyes no longer look back. We're no longer cast down. We're looking forward. We're looking on. Even though we've climbed to the highest heights, we're looking on to something better. Where are your eyes today? Cast down, cast back, or on the king? Here in verse 11, we find that we're devoted. There's a challenge, a call to devotion. Bowing down is a sign of humility, of service. Our lives are now in the service of the king. But don't see this negatively. It's not slavery. The king desires us, this verse says. Do you see that? Yes, we're devoted to him, but he desires us. It's not the master who's got that grotty slave who never gets washed before he comes into his presence. It's not that master who's got the grotty slave who has to tell him every time how to do the job. The Lord Jesus desires us and we serve him. So, yes, we need to be devoted to him. Yes, it needs to be a whole life given in service. But don't ever forget that he desires you. He's not lording it over you. He's not ruling you. He wants the best for you. How do you see your relationship with the Lord Jesus? Is it like that? Or do you... Have you forgotten that you should be devoted to him? Have you forgotten that he desires you? We all struggle sometimes. We need to understand those two sides of that coin. Devoted, yes, but desired by him as well. Verse 12, we are the preeminent ones. Uh, to be part of the bride of Christ is to be the highest of all peoples. Uh, I know that the world looks down on us at the moment. I, I know that we're considered... Uh, sometimes as, as the lowest of the low, the, the, the most obnoxious, the people who have those views that nobody else could possibly hold. And I know that at times past, Christians, God's people as well in the Old Testament, have wrongly used this. Amos chapter 3 and verse 2 says, I have only known you out of all the clans of the earth. But that prophecy goes on to say, and you've made a mistake in what you've done with this, and you need to you know, lose some of that pride. The world may say we're the lowest of the low and persecute us, but Christ says we're the most important people on the planet. Science may say aliens are watching over us. They put us here and one day they'll take us away. Christ says you're the most important people here in the universe. I made you. You have glory and purpose from me. 
when you're persecuted for Christ's sake, remember who you are. Not so that you end up lording it over others, but for the private sustaining of your soul so that you can turn the other cheek and keep going. In verse 13, we know that we're glorious. So the picture here has moved inside. So outside it's this great wedding and the focus is all on the groom and it should be. And quite frankly, if you think you can trump the Lord Jesus when he comes in his glory, you've got it wrong. You're not going to. But this moment in verse 13 comes inside the bride's chamber and, and the Lord for this moment is not in view. And all of a sudden the focus shifts and we are seen to be glorious. When we were outside with the king, every eye was on him. Now we're inside, every eye's on us. Because we have been made glorious by him, by our relationship with him. When we are made a new creation by Christ, our whole being changes from the inside out. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? You see, my friends, God the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. And no fallen angel can abide his presence. You are truly glorious when you're born again. You may not feel like it. I don't. But today I am one day more glorious than I was yesterday. One day closer to that eternal glory I will have when I'm there with him. So don't let the devil tempt you to give up or despair that you will never conquer that besetting sin or repeated temptation. He is at work in you to make you more glorious. And you will get there if you trust him. He will keep you to the end and then our clothes are detailed in 13 and 14 we're given righteous robes to wear this is our deeds remember the effect of the groom of, of king jesus clothes sweet scented joyful music filling the room oh how he longs to clothe your life and mine in good deeds done to shine the light of christ into the light of others revelation 19 and verse 8 says of the church the bride she was given fine linen to wear bright and pure for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. What are you wearing today? Have you prayed this morning? Lord, may I do the works you've set for me to do today and bring glory to your name. And verse 14. I wonder if you ever feel alone on this journey. We're told we have companions. Perhaps at work or at school you think you're the only believer. It may be true. But here is a truth for you. The bride of Christ is never alone. Ever. Christ never sets a believer entirely on their own forever. Now, sure, some of us walk in dark places. I know of Muslim believers who've gone back into closed countries as secret believers. You might remember during the time of, of the, the Second World War of, of many pastors who were arrested and imprisoned. It has happened, but never entirely on our own, never entirely for a lifetime, walking secretly, silently, with never any other company. God is so gracious to give fellowship of another believer, of a church. Don't, don't forget your church. And he always walks with us as the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is with us too. On these last two, because they have a great import to us as a group. These are where the one and others come in. 
the righteous deeds to do and to be companions to other. You know, we've got to say, do we pray for one another? Do we help one another find scriptural answers to life's problems? This is what it means to be a companion, to encourage one another in righteous deeds. Sometimes we can only do the deed when we do it together. But on these last two, it's right to recall that phrase of Paul's, 2 Corinthians 11, I promised you to Christ that I might present you to him pure. I know that's how John looks at you. Those of you who are visitors, if you have a pastor at home or elders at home who care for you, I know that's how they look at you. Is it how we look at each other? Are we helping and, and preparing each other for our king? Don't we each have a role to play as the bridesmaid, helping the bride to look her best? And verse 15 we're going to end where I think I've hinted, I hope. I've taken you as we've got here. Here is our homecoming. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. Here's the ultimate joy and wonder. In that traditional Eastern wedding, the groom goes, he fetches the bride, he pays the bride price, all the legal stuff is done, she is his bride. And he takes her home to his, well, it's not a home. It's a palace in which there are many mansions for us to live. You see, this king, this groom is the very Lord Jesus Christ. What did we say before? Begotten, not created. He's existed before time. And he wants you to join him in his home. He is the king of glory who came down from heaven into his own creation so that you and I can be welcomed back into heaven, into the presence of the Father God, into his home. So at the end of this life, we will reside with him. David has said, you prepare a table before me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I hope I've shown you King Jesus. I hope there's plenty more for you to explore in Psalm 45. I hope you've seen the psalm teach us about ourselves and where we will get to. And I, I want you to lift your eyes to the king and be challenged to prepare to take another step today towards your big day, towards his bride. Can we have that picture back, please? On the mountaintop, because there's a great work to get you here. Jesus Christ went to the cross to get you here. It wasn't a train up a mountain. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price to get you to where you are now. Have you accepted that? If you have, you've made it to the mountaintop of this life. You're where, you, but you can now look out. You can now look out and see that you have an even greater future. There are more places to explore. There are greater places to go. And one day, when he comes back, or if before that happens, we go to be with him. We will be going to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we will be with our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this amazing picture of him, the most handsome of men. We thank you that he is mighty and victorious, but with that he is not one who overrules, but he speaks truth hum humbly, righteously. 
We thank you that he comes from a throne that is forever and ever and would welcome us back there. We thank you that he is the anointed one doing this mission, this particular mission that only he can do, that you have given him to do. Thank you that he's victorious in that, that he brings all of humanity to himself. Thank you, Father, that he has brought me, us. Lord, would you help us to bow before him, knowing that we're desired by him and devoting our lives to his service. Help us to remember that we are made glorious by him, that is with joy and gladness in many colored robes, with these righteous deeds to, that we do, that we go to the palace of our king. Lord, would you inspire us and encourage us, lift our hearts, lift our eyes from this world to the hope we have of heaven, to the joy we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come Holy Spirit and enable us to go on and honor the king in Jesus' name.